This is the Transportation Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on MarketScale. Just to try to reduce crashes and keep traffic moving smoothly, they're going to want a computer behind the wheel rather than a human. If problems mean more money spent on transportation, it can hurt your bottom line. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. And coming up on the show today, I'm going to be talking to Jim Boyer and Chris Brock from Radiant Clipper. Now, Radiant Clipper is part of the larger body of Radiant Global Logistics, which was created in 2005 with the goal of partnering with logistics entrepreneurs to build a unique and comprehensive transportation and logistics service offering. So Radiant Clipper is just a part of that. And the VP of sales for Radiant Clipper is Jim Boyer, and he joins me on the line. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. And we also have Christopher Brock on the line. He's the VP of Operations at Radiant as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Tyler. Absolutely. So today we are talking about intermodal shipping and talking about the reliability of it. And uh, we're going to be comparing it to uh, some more traditional methods and things along those lines and maybe resetting some expectations about what to expect from this aspect of the industry. So let's just start off, guys, uh, by defining intermodal transportation and shipping. What is that necessarily? And uh, and I guess let's just give people a good framework for to understand what we're talking about here right off the bat. So effectively, intermodal is any uh, any transportation move that touches more than one mode. So in most cases, for what we handle, we're, we're touching the road, you know, for a truck to actually go and make the pickup at an origin and deliver at a destination. But in the middle, uh, the containers that we utilize ride the rails. So uh, multiple modes, uh, intermodal, that's kind of what it's derived from. Um, it's a very common method of transportation. All the uh, you know larger companies and certainly smaller and medium-sized companies uh, typically have some amount of intermodal activity or spend. So um, it's definitely a great alternative to truck. Uh, it has a, a, a pretty diverse network. It, it reaches really from coast to coast into Canada and Mexico and definitely is a, a great, great uh, option when capacity tightens and, and other uh, things that you don't expect occur around the country that we have to deal with <laughs> in the transportation business. Absolutely. Jim, do you have anything you want to add to, uh, to Chris's uh, explanation there of intermodal? No, I think we'll touch upon it a little further relative to the driver shortages facing the U.S. right now as we move forward. Sure, sure. So um, intermodal transportation has been something that's that's been around for a while, but are, are there any improvements or innovations that have really made it um, a more appealing, attractive option over the last few years? So over the last 10 years, uh, the transit times and, and the consistency of the product has, has improved uh, dramatically. When I first got into the business, I've been doing this about 16 years. Your, your transit time from, say, Chicago to L.A. could be anywhere from 7 to 10 days. It was very very inconsistent, really didn't know exactly how that load was going to perform from A to B. Uh, but the railroads, they all spend uh, anywhere in the neighborhood from, from 2 to $4 billion each. That's billion with a B every single year on improving their infrastructure. They've spent a lot of time adding additional tracks of what they call double and triple tracking where you'll have corridors with two to three lanes of uh, really effective traffic, those trains can move on. And um, that has just sped the overall transits up. It's improved the consistency and really the predictability of intermodal, which has made it a much more viable product than I think it used to be. It's always been popular, uh, but now that they're into more of the double stack economic of containers and uh, the facilities are geared for that, the trains are geared for that, you can, you can put quite a bit of freight down the tracks uh, in a pretty efficient manner. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think that some people might be hearing this and coming to the table with some preconceived notions about intermodal. So how do transportation times compare between maybe just traditional trucking and then intermodal methods? How would you compare the two when it comes to the time that it takes to complete jobs? Uh, Tyler, that's a great question. I think one of the things that we're pointing people to, depending on the distance that it's going on the rail, is the fact that it could be only one more day or maximum two days longer than an over-the-road option. So it is really very comparable from a transit time standpoint nowadays. Absolutely. So you're really um, not losing that much time or or anything along those lines, but um, you would still say that with precision scheduled railroading uh, that there's been an impact made, especially just with all of the different um, investments that Chris was mentioning that railroads have been making uh, year upon year uh, in the billions of dollars. So, uh, Chris, what uh, impact has precision scheduled railroading really had, and, and what is that, if you could uh, help define that for some listeners? Sure. Pre- precision scheduled railroading, or PSR, as everybody uh, has kind of come to shorten it so we don't have to type that in email seven times in a paragraph. Um, I, was, I was struggling to say it as, we were, uh, <laughs> as I was asking you know? the question. Yeah, okay, uh, PSR. So PSR really is a uh, it's a product of uh, a thought and process that Hunter Harrison, uh, who's uh, who passed away really about a year ago now, um, kind of executed and uh, and rolled out in in the Canadian marketplaces. The Canadian National went on to do it with the Canadian Pacific, and uh, subsequently ended his career um, before he passed with the CSX. And the the principles of precision scheduled railroading are to run longer trains run them faster, run them with less crews, uh, run a simpler network and focus on your course, you know, competencies that your network can deliver to the uh, end customer, be it for intermodal, boxcar shipments, bulk, whatever that might be. So it's had a pretty cataclysmic impact on the U.S. transportation industry. There were definitely some people skeptical on could Hunter's uh, concept really apply to more of a spaghetti bowl type network versus a linear network like Canada. Canada runs right along the border. Um, and it was a pretty drastic change. You know, the CSX came out, cut a very significant amount of their lanes uh, from an intermodal perspective. So we've had to kind of work around that. What was previously a hub and spoke model is kind of being de-hubbed and spoked, if you will, and uh, looking to be more direct and and uh, really run a higher performance network. And, you know, while it's been painful because there have been a lot of changes uh, that happened very quickly, and this is not a business that you typically see quick changes in. Uh, the end results, I think, are going to be very positive. Uh, we're starting to see some signs of that prior to a lot of these weather issues with the flooding and some of the uh, winter conditions that we experience. We have started to see train velocities pick up. You know, they've had some improvements on a, um, on a, a continually growing year-over-year basis. I believe CSX average train velocities are up 10% from two years ago. That's pretty significant, uh, but that's how they really measure a lot of their performance. But really, it's about simplifying the network at its core and uh, running running trains with as few assets as you can, as fast as you can to, to actually exceed what you were previously doing and drive your operating ratio as low as possible. So you were talking about changes occurring in the industry, and uh, that kind of raises a question for me, just that, uh, just a quick glance around some of the publications uh, around the transportation industry would suggest that 2018 was a relatively difficult year for freight. So what were some of the reasons for that? You had really a, a cocktail of things that kind of came together. Uh, you know, at, at, in the fall of last year, we'd seen a, a pretty good Q2 um, ending. Really, the, it would be the Q2 ending in uh, June of 17, which rode right into the end of uh, 
the end of that calendar year when we had all the hurricanes happen, ELD rollout happen for drivers, electronic logging, and just several other, you know, contributing things just kept kind of weighing on on the current capacity in the marketplace and, and the lack thereof. And there was definitely a run on on all modes of transportation, be it for intermodal OTR truck or uh, or specific needs. It really saw some some serious drivers in the flatbed space. Uh, really saw some some amazing demand, probably unprecedented historical levels of demand on all levels. So so a lot of those uh, those items really carried through all of 2018. And uh, you know our teams had to battle pretty hard to make ends meet. You know we pride ourselves on our service here at Radiant Clipper. That's that's what we're out there, uh, you know, sharing with our customers and collaboratively building with our customers. So uh, finding ways to navigate that landscape was definitely a challenge. But our team uh, was very up to the task and uh, they were recognized on a couple different occasions with with some carry of the year awards during that uh, duration, which uh, just very proud of them because that, that was not an easy time to come away with any kind of, a, of an accolade or recognition uh, because there wasn't a whole lot of glory days in the midst of some of that. Uh, turmoil that we were really navigating. On top of what Chris mentioned, uh, there's also the tariffs people were bringing in. A lot of shippers were bringing product in early, uh, which led to some additional shortage of capacity uh, on the truck side. So uh, that was also a, a pretty strong factor relative to putting additional pressure on the, the trucking community. And Jim, I think you mentioned earlier just that uh, driver shortage was also an issue uh, when it came to the trucking side of things. Uh, how did that really affect the industry in 2018? Oh, it's huge for sure. Uh, trucks make make up nearly 75% of the U.S. freight tonnage moving. And I've seen a figure that said driver shortage will be uh, will reach 239,000 in just the next five years. So it's an aging workforce. Uh, they're not necessarily bringing in enough uh talent into that industry so this is going to continue uh moving uh moving forward it will continue to be a issue for the whole industry what do you see the future of the trucking industry really holding right now because uh you're right this does seem to present a problem so if that problem is going to persist what is what does the future of the trucking industry look like in your opinion well they've got to draw more more uh people to the industry and i think some of the companies we're dealing with have started to increase their pay to the drivers as well as giving them benefits for signing on as well as retention benefits and bonuses. So I think they're two of the things, but ultimately there's got to be more truckers, uh, truck drivers that want to come into the industry in order to help this because we've got a elderly or aging workforce on the trucker side. And I think that's where intermodal really comes in as a great, uh, you know, kind of, I guess it's a good good spot to interject that. It, it comes in as a great kind of additional capacity and in, in where we see the industry flexing, you know, towards. And, you know, at the moment, intermodal uh, shipments, if you count it international and domestic, only make up about 13% of the long haul uh, truckloads that move around the country. So, I mean, while they, while they move 19 million nearly uh, intermodal moves every year, it's still only 13% of the long haul truckload moves that happen. So that's a pretty staggering figure when you think about the growth potential that's there. Um, with that, you know, the railroads have plans for expansion and, and, and facilities expanding and trackage expanding, and it really should serve as, and it generally does work well as a purge valve for when that OTR capacity is, is, is somewhat dried up and, uh, or there's pressure on it, it allows you to kind of flex to the other modes. So 
with uh, with the driver shortage being what it is and still looming out there, and it, it will continue to. As Jim said, those numbers are, are just astounding how high they are. Um, Intermodal definitely is a uh, is a good vehicle to look at uh, to just secure some additional capacity, particularly for loads where you maybe have that extra day or two of lead time, and uh, gives you a chance to to maybe push some freight across the country that you would have paid more for to put it in the truck, and you might have had a little a little more trouble finding that truck in, in certain times of the year. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question, just whether or not you felt like you were well-positioned in the industry, given the factors that you've talked about, just with railroads uh, you know, investing more in uh, improving their infrastructure every year and driver shortage kind of on the freight side. Do you feel like at Radiant, that you, uh, Radiant Clipper that you're in a, a, a good position as far as the industry goes moving forward just because you have that versatility? I think we are, and, and that's part of Bron, uh, Bond Crane's strategy with Radiant when he purchased us a little over four years ago was to get the intermodal um, component of shipping covered. Uh, Bond's got a lot of uh, experience on the forwarding side. And when he purchased Clipper, uh, it gave him the intermodal arm that he was looking for to be able to sell a full suite of uh, services to our customers. Chris, you want to add anything onto uh, onto Jim's comments there? Yeah, I think you know, as a as an IMC, what makes us a little different than a than a uh, just a traditional truck broker as well. While I don't own any power units, I do own some trailers. We move some refrigerated intermodal in those trailers. Uh, it's an expedited product, kind of unique. A lot of people don't think intermodal and refrigerated, but it's definitely a, a very good uh, way to move fresh or frozen product across the country. But we have direct relationships with the class one railroads. A lot of the average brokers out there don't. They have to deal with the railroads on a door product, as they call it, a door-to-door product. And, um, you know, from from our perspective as an IMC, we're having, you know, daily, if not hourly, conversations with the railroads about uh, where they're headed with things. Um, they collaborate with us. They have a lot of good sessions. And I will give them a lot of credit uh, over the last few years for kind of pulling us in to see what's important to us. How do we help the products grow, namely the rail fleets that are you know, about 80,000 plus 53 foot containers. So, um, so very good collaborative opportunity for us. And, you know, um, I think having that kind of dialogue on a regular basis with, with entities like, you know, the four main class ones within the U S here, um, is, is pretty substantial and, and it positions us very well, um, to kind of hopefully see what's coming down the road, um, or the rail and, <laughs> and kind of, uh, you know, be ready for it, help our customers navigate it. And, uh, and with our full services, as Jim said, with Radiant, being able to help them if they got into an expedited situation and they were going to do intermodal to, to be able to go over the road or maybe it's an expedited um, air freight, you know, if they have international business, we can do that with Radiant as well. So I feel like, uh, you know, the suite of services we have at our disposal is, is pretty limitless. And uh, I think we're pretty, pretty well positioned, feeling fairly positive about that. And the one thing to add is Clipper's actually been around for over 80 years. So, Tyler, to answer your question, do we feel like we're in good position to take advantage of this 100%? Yes. Absolutely. That's a that's a great way to answer it. And um, I, I'm wondering, just from your perspective, would you recommend to people listening that – they begin shifting maybe more to intermodal now rather than waiting until capacities tighten again and driver shortage is even more of a heightened issue. Um, you know, it, it, would you recommend, I guess, making those making that shift now, maybe shifting a, a higher percentage of, of what they do to intermodal now before uh, maybe the situation necessitates it necessarily? 100%. Absolutely. Uh, the, the worst thing you can possibly do is wait till there is an issue. 
in order to respond. So the shippers that are proactive are the ones that are going to benefit. I saw statistics, 54% of the shippers expect intermodal growth in the coming year. So it tells you that the, the shippers that are currently shipping intermodal are looking to increase that intermodal. And the shippers that are currently not using intermodal are now opening their eyes relative to one, the potential savings that's available for intermodal, and two, as an alternative uh, source to over-the-road trucking. Chris, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think the railroads, you know, they're they're not, if they have one flaw, or, you know, I'm sure everybody has more than one, but um, they're not <laughs> nimble. You know, they, they aren't always ready to just drop everything for you to, uh, you know, because you're in a moment of crisis or panic on, on a shipment that, you know, all of a sudden you're going to go run into intermodal in the middle of peak season during, you know, say the fall retail season or, or something along those lines. So absolutely, the sooner you come to them um, or us, uh, the better we can we can arrange some things. I think one of the unique things about intermodal, uh, drop and hook works very well with intermodal. Uh, so having pool stage, particularly for pattern freight, um, very flexible. But to do that, you need a little heads up. You need a little ongoing commitment. And then also, you know, some of the rate holds. If you have enough, you know, volume, you know, shipping two to five per week, um, you can generally get a, a locked in rate for 12 months, which helps you kind of avert some of the volatility of the truck market that, you know, it's going to have seasonality. That's just the way that, that over the road trucks run. So kind of a unique opportunity in, in regards to that. And the sooner you get that information in front of, uh, in front of us or, and or the railroad so that we can uh, evaluate it, put a solution together, the better, because we had a couple customers last year that definitely, you know, were unfortunately out in the cold because they waited a little too long, couldn't get the capacity commitments that we're looking for from the railroads. And, um, you know, they definitely, I think there was some regret on that side that they did, maybe didn't come to uh, come to the table a little bit sooner with some opportunities. So, yes, definitely, sooner the better. How, let's say you have a, a client, a customer that is looking to move more of um, a higher percentage of what they do to intermodal. How do you have that conversation with them and just assess what their needs are and then, uh, you know, come, come to a conclusion about what would work best for them? What does that conversation look like? Well, I think one of the things we would go and sit down in a consultative approach uh, with the customer is we would try to get a hold of their lanes that they're currently moving business in. And traditionally, anything 600 miles or longer would be a potential uh, intermodal move. So if we could sit down with the customer and look at the lanes they're currently moving, along with the volumes that they're moving, uh, we'd be able to put a package together. We can put a side-by-side -side comparison uh, con comparing intermodal transit times to over-the-road transit times. And, and that's the way we'd start the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how often that's what starts the intermodal conversation. Just, hey, give us a peek at your lanes. Mm -hmm. I don't have to even know what you're paying, you know, on a, on a truck lane. If you are willing to share that, then we can also show you a savings component. But looking at that initial, you know, core group of opportunities or one or two, and, you know, we always recommend let's, let's do a few loads and see how it goes. Let's, let's step into it, particularly for customers that aren't familiar with it. You know, with intermodal, Slight differences in terms of how you would block and brace and prepare a load for, you know, for it to be ready for rail transit. But that's what our team's here for. You know, we have uh, we have a, a very veteran staff that can assist with all those parts of the uh, the process. And equally, we have resources with the railroads that can that can help us get from A to B, build transit schedules, you know, help 
help folks identify what are the optimum dates to ship. But it's a very collaborative, you know, it, it, it can be as simple as a transaction, you know, where they have a point they just want to look at. But as Jim said, when we get into that collaborative conversation, and, uh, and he's got a team that's very good at doing that, um, we really can draw out a lot of different things. And we, can build a, we can build a more tailored solution that involves intermodal, or maybe, it, maybe we have an intermodal and truck hybrid, or maybe there's a spot to help, you know, uh, with some of our assets or find different, different opportunities. But the collaboration, I think, is a, is a great part of the transportation industry, and, and I think where we have the greatest success is around those types of conversations. Is there a financial aspect to this where you can get together with a client and and show, hey, here's maybe a, a place where we can uh, save you a little bit of money or something along those lines as well? Absolutely. Traditionally, there's a 10 to 15% spread between intermodal and over the road. Now, in the last couple of years, that's gone both uh, above that and below that relative to the availability of truck capacity. So certainly uh, that is something that we point out to them. Over time and tradition, there is definitely a cost savings relative to intermodal versus over the road. And what about for companies that are maybe looking to um, become more sustainable in their in their business models and that sort of thing? Can you can you cite uh, intermodal options as maybe a way of being uh, a more sustainable way of of doing freight and that sort of thing as opposed to uh, traditional trucking one hundred percent? Definitely. Uh, sustainability is, a, I think, a core premise of Intermodal. You can go on any of the railroad's websites. They have carbon footprint calculators, and they can really see you know, what kind of impact you can, you can make by making the Intermodal conversions. You can put your lanes right in there, and it'll show you what was the carbon impact for a regular over-the-road truck versus how they move it via rail. Um, but we have, we have a handful of customers that have a spend that, are, that is really centered around that sustainability factor. And uh, it's it's definitely a huge piece of it. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, cost is going to drive a lot of uh, a lot of behavior. But there are some great companies out there that are very focused on doing the right things for for the greater good. And uh, intermodal is is just one one way that uh, in, in in this space in logistics that you can you can absolutely try to tackle that objective. Absolutely, guys. Well, do, do you have any final things that you want to say? Just uh, any, any final thoughts just when it comes to uh, comparing these uh, different methods and uh, maybe one final uh, idea as far as why intermodal might be a, a better option for, uh, for some people to consider? I'd say for intermodal, uh, you know, to be considered uh, is, I think, a must in this current environment right now. Um, we're seeing early parts of 19, you know, some softening on the on the OTR side, but uh, I see a lot of good predictive indicators saying Q2 should continue to build and in this kind of, you know, ride out fairly strong through hopefully the balance of the year. But um, it's a great product. As I mentioned earlier, what used to take seven or 10 days now takes, you know, five days and it's pretty consistent at taking five days uh, on some of these points, sometimes even less. Um, so pretty unique, uh, you know, unique to be involved as we are. There aren't a lot of folks that have the direct relationships with the railroads like we do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it should be a part of folks' supply chains. It's, it's really, a, uh, I think, a necessary, uh, a necessary mode for the for the foreseeable future, given what's on the horizon with drivers. And until we see a bunch of robot trucks driving around, um, I don't think that <laughs> I don't think there's a way to, to to totally avoid intermodal, especially if you have if you have higher uh, higher volume shipments or lanes. It's absolutely something that we want to you know help you with, and I think it's something folks should consider. Absolutely, Jim. Any uh, any final thoughts? 
Tyler, the only thing I wanted to touch upon uh, to finish up is uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last two years about shipper of choice. And that means, are you making it convenient for the trucker to come and pick up the cargo? The truckers right now, there's there's not enough capacity. So they're going to go to the shipper where they're, one, treated with respect, two, that they can get in and out as fast as possible, and then get down the road because of the ELD mandate. So that's something I've been having a lot of conversations with on the shipper side uh, relative to making sure that they are ready to be the best possible shipper they can in order to assist the truckers. Absolutely. I think you guys make a really compelling case for why people should consider intermodal uh, more if they aren't already doing it, or just even more if they are already doing it, moving a higher percentage over in that direction. Um, that You guys certainly make uh, quite a compelling case. So Jim Boyer and Chris Brock, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, guys, and uh, we'll see how the industry continues to move here in the future. Hey, thank you Tyler, very much for thank you on. for your time.